Let's open up God's Word. We're going to be in Romans 16. We've got a really exciting song to sing in response to Romans 16 um, after this. But first off, we're going to see what uh, God's Word has for us tonight. As you're finding your way to Romans 16, the very end of Romans 16, let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we are so thankful to be here, to be called by your name, to sing your praise. Uh, we love to be people who uh, lift up a joyful noise to you and sing your praise and, and hear the truth of your gospel that propels us and deepens us in that praise. And we pray that through your word tonight, you would deepen our true praise of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, um, you would go to a movie to watch the movie. And then it was completely appropriate for you to leave the movie as soon as the screen appeared with the letters directed by. If you stayed for written by, you were weird. If you stayed for the cast scrolling... You were silly. If you stayed all the way to the end, you were crazy, right? And so guess what kind of guy I was? I was the guy that stayed all the way till the end. Some of you probably have parents like this that like to stay all the way through the end of the credits. If you're like me, though, the best part of the movie is at the end when the credits roll and you can hear all of those songs that you've been hearing throughout the movie the whole time kind of come together in this crescendo that now finally makes sense and everything is right in the world because all of the movie has completed. The storyline is over and you're listening to the themes play through again. But, uh, of course... I was a nerd, so nobody else did that. Until, until at least Marvel came out. And then it was cool. After Marvel came out, it became cool to stay to the end so that you could pick up that really cool thing. Well, anyway, we are in a series, a very short series for a few weeks here called Best for Last. And the same idea goes with Best for Last. The best sometimes is at the last when the writer of these uh, letters of the New Testament is kind of summing up what he has just said or, or kind of uh, ha- having a declaration of praise to God in response to the things that were said. There was a definition that I gave you last night for what a benediction or a doxology is, and it was, I feel like, a little bit confused in your mind. So I'm going to give you another definition that's similar to it, but a little bit clearer. So here's a definition of what a declaration declaration or a doxology is. It is a responsive statement of praise or prayer. So you can start off with that. It is a responsive statement of praise or prayer. And then here's where I changed it a little bit. Aimed at sin's expulsion and God's exaltation in your heart. So that is, that is what I'm aiming at. I'm aiming at sin's expulsion. I'm aiming to cast sin from your heart by casting light into your heart. I'm aiming at sin to be removed from your life and cast out through the entrance of praise from God in your heart. That is what I'm aiming at. It's a responsive statement of praise or prayer aimed at sin's expulsion and God's exaltation. That is what we are aiming at. Uh, tonight we're in. Tonight we're in the letter of the to the Romans. Romans is Paul's 
Paul's amazing, his, his largest epistle that he wrote. Um, it has kind of been called his, 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 master, his masterpiece as he explains the gospel. Uh, everyone is very familiar with Romans. It's an incredible book. A little bit of intro on the book itself. It was written by Paul while he was ministering during his third missionary journey in Corinth. He was in Corinth. And the interesting thing about the background here is he was in, in a city serving in a church that was sin-soaked, that had a lot of sin problems in this church. And he, from that church, wrote this incredible epistle to the Romans about the power of the gospel. So think about that, right? The power of the gospel is the power of God to save any sinner, even, even, even sinners like the sinners in Corinth. And this is who wrote it. Uh, He wrote, as I said, during his third missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts 18 and and 19 and 20. Um, He wrote this, and I think it's kind of interesting. He kind of wrote the epistle to the Romans as a missionary letter, right? (laughs) When was the last time you read a missionary letter this dense with theology, right? He wrote it as like a missionary support letter because he wanted the Roman church to, to understand his gospel so that they would boldly and cheerfully and joyfully support him while he went through them on his way to Spain. So he was planning to go to Rome, and he wanted them to support him and encourage him and supply him on his way all the way to Spain. So that was kind of the idea. He, he didn't know them, they didn't know him, but he wanted to familiarize them with his gospel. And of course, what is the message of Romans? It is how the righteousness of God is powerful to transform your life from the inside out. That's my shortened title. It's the, it's the message of how the righteousness of God is powerful to transform your life. Let's read his doxology here and think about the idea of, this is kind of all the themes of the letter coming together right now in this glorious, triumphant, final, final piece, this final arc of his writing. Paul writes this in Romans sixteen twenty five. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... And according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There's a main point that I want to share with you. This is the main point. This is my message tonight for you, okay? Faith in the gospel compels you to worship. When you believe the gospel, true belief in the gospel will compel you to worship. You cannot read through the epistle to the Romans as a believer and conclude without worship. you, You must worship God. You must praise Him. That is where the gospel will lead you. When you hear the gospel as a believer, you must worship and praise your God. And your Savior. So there, our, our message tonight is broken down into three parts. We're going to be looking at three worship responses to the gospel. Three worship responses to the gospel. Uh, response number one, praise God for his strength. Praise God for his strength. And then praise God for his righteousness. And then finally, praise God for his 
wisdom. That's what Paul is going to kind of conclude here in this doxology of praise. Praise God for his strength, praise God for his righteousness, and praise God for his wisdom. Let's look at that first worshipful response. Praise God for his strength. I have a question for you tonight. Do you need God? Would you be fine in a life without God? Or, if you didn't know the gospel, would your life look any different than the way it looks today? Do you need God's strength? Would you praise God for his strength? This is Paul's first thing he does here. He reminds us that the gospel is our only source of strength. And if you are a believer here tonight, you know this is true. This will cause you to praise. And notice what he says there. To him who is able to strengthen you. The gospel reveals the power of God, the only source of God's power. There's some pretty powerful verbs here that he packs together. Able to strengthen you. This, this draws out this idea of God being continually able to strengthen you completely. And the conclusion here that we all must come to in the gospel is, is simply this. When you come away from the gospel, you should think, wow, God is strong. God is ultimate strength. God is my only strength, my only hope. I have no strength in him. You should say, you alone, you alone, O Lord, are the only one who is able to establish me, to make me steadfast, to make me inwardly fixed so I can never be moved. You are the only one who can give me strength in a chaotic world. You are the only strength. See that to him who is able to strengthen you. You say to yourself, I cannot stand before God in my own strength. You say to yourself, I cannot sanctify myself even in my own strength. You say, I cannot continue in the faith in my own strength. You conclude in the gospel, praise God for his strength alone. Ultimately, ultimately, the gospel is an insult to you, isn't it? It's an insult to your pride to all of the things that you think you can do on your own because the gospel exalts the strength of God. It doesn't exalt your name. It doesn't exalt your church attendance. It doesn't exalt some prayer you prayed one time when you were little. It doesn't exalt a Bible that's well read. It doesn't exalt your will or your determination. It doesn't exalt your goodness or your righteousness. The gospel exalts God's strength and God's strength alone. And actually, this is the message of Romans 1 through 3. Romans 1 through 3 tells you that man has no spiritual ability to be right before God. Romans 1 would actually tell you that the wrath of God is actively against sinners who ignore God's revelation. And Romans 2 through 3 would say that none is righteous, no, not one, even the people that think they can obey God in their own strength. No, Romans 3 says none is righteous, no, not one. All stand before a God guilty and condemned. That's what Romans 1 through 3 tells you. Ultimately, all to say the gospel is a message of God's strength and God's strength alone. And that, if you are a believer, is a cause of praise. You praise the Lord for his strength. Let me ask you a question. 
Are you delightfully dependent on God and His grace? Are you delightfully dependent? You know there is nothing I can do, and it's all that God gives me and enables me to do through His strength. Are you that way? Uh, In the gospel, you respond with praise to God for his strength. Let's look at the second part. Uh, The second worshipful response to the gospel that Paul brings us to here in this stunning conclusion is, you praise him for his righteousness. This is another way you respond in worship to God. You praise him for his righteousness. This is actually kind of the theme of the letter, the word righteousness. You could follow this theme all the way through. One through three is about how you do not have righteousness that is sufficient. And then three through eight is about you, how you have been given or have received a righteousness to stand before God. Now, Romans 6, 25 through 27, I'm not going to lie to you, is pretty incredible. And if you, if you like grammar, you're going to be pretty confused by it for a while. You're trying to figure out what in the world is Paul doing. Actually, I'll show you. Verse 25, he begins his doxology with this, this idea of now to him, and then there's an implied to him be glory right there. And then he doesn't complete that, but he doesn't complete that. All he says is to him who is able, and then he waits to finish that sentence till he gets all the way down to verse 27. Notice, this is how it should read. To him who is able, Skip, 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 skip. To the only wise God be glory. So what's going on in between? In between is this long, complex, you know, parentheses of of Paul explaining how God is able to give you strength. How God is able to do all of these things. How God strengthens you. So this is all actually one just big, long, complex sentence one sentence and he combines all of these descriptors there in the middle for us that we're going to have to break down a little bit one other thing i want to tell you really quick romans 16 is a beautiful bookend to romans 1 1 through 6 paul begins the same way he ends go home tonight read romans 1 1 through 6 and you'll see all of these themes repeated so it's a book's bookend to the epistle but this is a very complex thought he starts bringing us through and, and the basic idea here in the middle in this kind of this 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 powerful explosion of descriptions of God's strength that we see here is simply this God gives you spiritual power in Jesus that's basically all Paul is saying how do you receive spiritual power you receive spiritual power and strength by hearing by understanding by believing by obeying the message that you have received about Jesus Christ the gospel is simply a message about Jesus Christ. It's a message that we see is found only in our Bible. You see there in verse 25, Paul says, according to my gospel, even the preaching of Jesus Christ. This is a message that doesn't come to everyone. Every religion doesn't have this gospel. God doesn't just allow every man to figure it out. No, it came through the revelation that came through the apostles. And notice also this is a message about a person. It's not a message about some great work that you need to do. It's, it's not a message of some formula you need to follow. It's about a person that you need to believe in. Notice what he says. According to my gospel, 
and, or you could say, even the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. The good news of the gospel is this, right? It's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done. The transforming power of the gospel from A to Z is a message about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This is what a testimony is, right? You get up before people and you say, this is what the message of Jesus has done in my life. It has completely transformed my life. That is the testimony. Matter of fact, this this power, this praise for God's righteousness is actually kind of the message of Romans 3 through 8, if we could maybe simplify it like that. We already talked about Romans 1 through 3, but Romans 3 through 8 is this message. It says, it gives you, it, it unveils for you all of these blessings that are yours in Jesus Christ. What is it? You are justified by faith. You are declared righteous before God. You are given the righteousness of Christ. Will you stand a sinner? You are given the righteousness of Christ. It is declared to you. And by the way, no other religion does this, right? Man tries to reason his way to God on his own, and he always does one of two things. He either deludes man's sinfulness, man's problem, or he deludes God's holiness, right? But the message of the gospel is the righteousness of God given to you by faith. We see this in chapter 3, 21 through 22. But we also see in Romans 6, all the way through 8, how this righteousness is active in us. And through the Holy Spirit, it begins to transform us. This is the message that we see. We are made righteous, not in our own strength, but as Romans 8, 10 would tell you, by and through the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. You are justified in Christ's righteousness, and you are sanctified in Christ's righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit as well. I love what Romans 6, 18 says, you're no longer a slave of sin, but now you are a slave of righteousness. That is what we are. We're, we're relating to God in a whole different way. As not as his enemies, but as his blessed slaves. That is what we should do. We should praise God for his righteousness. And that's what Paul says here. Praise God for his righteousness revealed to you in Christ Jesus. A, a third praise. A third praise. Praise God. This is a, the final and third worshipful response of the gospel. Praise God for his wisdom. Praise God for his wisdom. I want to think about this for a, for a little bit longer. This point will be a little bit longer because this is marvelous. This is wonderful. What you need more of in your life is praise and worship to a God who is wise. How would that transform your life to say every morning, you, Lord, are wise. You, Lord, are wise and good. I will trust in you today. Let's look at this. Let's look at this praise that we should give to God for his wisdom. Ultimately, this is kind of a response to the gospel message completely, right? The, the, the gospel reveals the wisdom of God in saving you, in giving his strength to save you as a sinner in Christ's righteousness alone. How, how is God wise? Well, we, we see it here. 
And I'm just going to read this section here, right at the end of verse 25. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory. You see it there at the end. God is declared to be wise. How is God wise? How do we see God being wise here? Well, first off, if I could do a sub-point under my point, uh, God is wise in his long game. God is wise in his long game. You ever play chess with somebody who is smart? Who knows how to play the long game? You're thinking about one move. They're thinking about 20. You're like, this is a smart move. And they're like, you're right. And I can use that move five moves from now and totally destroy you, right? When you're playing with someone wise, you're playing with somebody who is playing the long game. And God is wise in his long game. God is all wise. This is kind of crazy here, but you see there at verse 25 at the end, um, it it says, this uh, message in the gospel is is according to a revelation of this mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings. Now, I said the gospel message is only found in our Bible. I've already said that, but I didn't say that the gospel message is only found in the New Testament. Matter of fact, look at that. Look at that. This message is revealed to you according to the prophetic writings. This was God's plan all along. Matter of fact, as, as Paul is revealing the gospel in every single one of his letters, what does he always do? He's always showing how the Old Testament testifies to this. The prophets testify and witness to this message. So it's not like this. It's not like God got all the way to Malachi chapter 3 and he's like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> Maybe I'll try something else. Maybe I won't do it by works. I'll try it by faith. No, it was always the plan. As a matter of fact, the prophets testified and witnessed to this. As a matter of fact, if I could use Romans 1, you'll see the parallel here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son. This was always a part of the plan. God was always playing for the long game. They testified, they witnessed. You know, if, if, if you're like me, this gives you incredible encouragement in the gospel. The gospel is a message that when Paul wrote this was 1,500 years in the making across 66 books with 40 different authors, most of which never met each other, and yet it's completely in sync. God's plan is seen all the way through. It's as if God wants to tell you something in the gospel message. It's it's, it's as if God wants to say, believe this. This wasn't just something that was haphazardly thrown together at the last minute. 
This isn't just man scheming his way to God. This has been my plan all the way from Genesis 1-1 all the way till now. I have been working for this plan. And you can see it. You can see the theme carried out through the Bible. God's amazing, majestic, wise plan. God is wise. God is wise in his ability to play the long game. Ability to play the long game. But also, I want you to notice that God is wise in his wide reach. We also see God is wide in his, er, wise in his wide reach. There's something about a dad that I just love. I love those YouTube videos about fathers who have the ability to just catch their kids from wherever they're falling, always. They just have this incredible ability to, to grab the kid by the leg. It's always by the leg. Just right before they're about to hit, you know, something deadly or something like that, that dad just, bam, catches. They have this incredible wide reach, and that shows their skill. They are always able. Listen to this. The good news of the gospel, 1,500 years in the making, is not that God just saves his own people that are pretty good that are almost there. No, but God has a wide reach and God saves sinners. Matter of fact, it says in Romans 5, 8 through 9, God saves enemies. God has a wide reach. God has a wide reach. He reaches and saves sinners and makes them into sons and daughters. And this has always been God's reach. God has always saved sinners. God has always had this strength and wisdom in saving sinners. He called Abraham from his idols, Joshua 24 tells us. He delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. He did not count David's sin against him. God has always been someone who reached and saved his people. And the Old Testament saints always had this this concept about them. They always knew that they could not save themselves, that they needed to depend by faith on the God who promised to save them. They knew that they could not stand right before God. Job 9.2 says, No one is right before God. The psalmist in Psalm 130 verse 3 says, If the Lord would count iniquities, who could stand? They knew that it was always about faith in God. They always knew this. And the prophets even revealed how God would save them, although ever so faintly they testified to it. And you know the verse, Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, each one of us, we have turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Habakkuk 2, 4 also says, The righteous shall live by faith. God has always saved people this way. And notice, notice how this gospel is revealed. It, it, it reveals these things in the Old Testament, through the Old Testament writings, but now especially, now that the New Testament has come and Christ has come, we know this with clarity, what the Old Testament was talking about. But the New Testament also shows us something that the Old Testament only hinted at that this salvation was also for all people. It wasn't just for the best of the best, someone that worked their way for it. God had a wide reach in the, the aim as well. He's always been aiming for the people of the world. Matter of fact, Genesis 12, 3 would pick up this idea of a gospel, a good news for all people. It, it says that Abraham was called to obey God to to be blessed by God and be a blessing to all the nations. And Isaiah 42, 6 talks about the Messiah coming and being a light to the nations. This was always God's aim. 
the gospel actually just reveals God's master plan from the beginning to save and restore all the peoples of the earth to him. Now, this is really incredibly good news because it shows God has wisdom. Wisdom to save, not just those who are near, but also those who are far away from him. The ends of the earth, you may think to yourself, I am too sinful for God to save me. Well, the wisdom of God is wiser than your sin. You may say to yourself, I am too far off. I am too distant for God to see and to save me. Well, the wisdom of God is wider than you can escape. God's salvation reaches to all people. God has a wide reach. And we see also God's wisdom is shown to us, not just in his long game, his wide reach, but also in his inner work. Notice that final verse there. To bring about, this is the purpose of the gospel, to bring about the obedience of faith. Or if you translate that, I think correctly, it would say the obedience that comes from faith. Notice, it's not an obedience that produces faith. It's not an obedience that figures out how to please God. It's an obedience that comes from faith. When you have faith in the gospel, obedience is produced in your life. You know how I know that? Because that's what Paul's been talking about all through Romans. He says, you have a faith in Christ Jesus and you are justified, declared righteous before God and you praise him because you stand before God, not in your wretched robes, but in Christ's righteous robes. But then Paul goes on to say how this gospel message gets into your heart and your life and it compels you to worshipful obedience. The gospel compels you to worshipful obedience. Obedience, And that is God's wisdom on display. Once again, mankind only thinks up religions that have something to do with them working their way to God, diminishing their sin or diminishing God's holiness. But God's holiness, or God's gospel exalts His holiness, your sinfulness, and your Savior. It transforms you from the inside as well. What is the right response to the gospel? Well, verse 27 kind of lays it out for us. To the only wise God be glory. Is that your heart? Is that your theme? Is that your praise? Be glory, God. Regardless of what happens in my life, regardless of what disappoints me, regardless of what I don't get, regardless of what I do get, be glory, because you give me strength, and you give me all things. I should praise God for his strength. You should praise God for his strength towards you. You should praise God for his righteousness that is given to you, and you should praise God for his wisdom that surrounds your life completely. What is the only conclusion? Or can I ask this? What is the surest evidence that you have true saving faith? It's simple. One word. You agree. You agree with all that the gospel says about everything. You agree with what the gospel says about God and his holiness, his righteousness. You agree with what all that the Bible says about you and your sinfulness and inability 
and your need for God's strength. You agree with all that the gospel says about Jesus, his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his powerful resurrection to showcase his power. You agree with all that is the gospel that says about the Holy Spirit, his power to sanctify you completely. You agree with all that the Bible says about the eternal triune God that sets its love on you and saves you through the power of the gospel. You agree. And that agreement works in your heart in delighted worship. God, you are strong. God, you are righteous and you give me that righteousness. And God, you are wise. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that exalts, exalts your name and draws us to praise you, and we pray that we would live lives that praise you. I pray that our response to this gospel would be one of worship, both the first day, the next day, and all the days of our lives, that we would start each day with worship, continue in each day with worship, and end each day with worship because of what you have done in Jesus Christ for us. We pray now that we would praise your name even in how we discuss these things in small group. It would be, we would be willing to agree with all that your word says is true. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.